from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. There's an old saying that life is about priorities. And the reason life's about priorities is because the things that we value, the things that we make priorities in our lives, are the things that we are going to pursue, the things we are going to strive for, and obviously, hopefully, achieve, right? So our priorities are things which we value and we actually use as a goal to achieve in our own lives. And I will give you an example, right? I will confess to you, friends, amongst a small gathering, that I am a terrible golfer. I'm a terrible golfer, and I always say, well, Father, why don't you play golf? Well, because golf requires at least two things, time and patience, and I have very little time and even less patience. So I don't, I'm not a very good golfer, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I really don't care. I don't care that I'm not a good golfer, not because I don't think golf's a cool game, and I know a lot of people love it, and that's, that's really cool. I'm glad for that. Uh, but I don't care about golf. It's not... It's not it's not a priority for me. And so I'm just not motivated, to be perfectly blunt, I'm just not motivated to get any better at my golf game. And again, the reason is because our priorities, whatever, what they are, whether it's playing golf or whatever, listen, your priorities in your heart, the things you, that you prioritize are the things that you are going to try to achieve. You know, my dad, who's one of my great influences on me, used to say to me, you know, Chris, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. That's a great quote, right? He's saying the same thing. You know, if you don't know what your priorities are, you're never going to get there. So I want to challenge you this morning as a Christian. How do we as Christians set our priorities? And we're going to do this by looking at St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, which is awfully dense and it probably confused you. There's a lot of verbiage in there which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us as 21st century Westerners. But the gist of what Paul is driving at is simply this. His priorities that he had set failed him, but Jesus saved him. So we're going to look at Paul. Look at Paul as our case study this morning. His priorities and how Jesus changed them and changed him. But three questions this morning, because really this is about you and me and Paul, I guess, too, right? But three points today. Three questions, actually, to consider. What, how do you, how do you form your priorities how, what do our priorities tell us about ourselves? And then finally, how does the gospel change those? So how do you form your priorities? And me, right? What do those priorities tell us about ourselves? Point, question number two. And then question number three is how does the gospel change it? So first thing I want to look, talk about is how do we, how do you form your priorities? You know, I think, this is just my gut, because it's true for me, and it's probably true for you, that for most people, our priorities, we kind of don't even really think about it, do we? We, don't, we, may, we might make a, a New Year's resolution on January 1, which is probably gone by, if you're like me, middle of January. But for most people, our priorities largely go unrecognized and certainly not really planned out. And the reason is, I think, that we fall into a trap. I know I do. We fall into this trap of doing things over and over and over again, and not really even being sure why. Is it just me, or do you sometimes catch yourself doing things without really even thinking through why you're doing them in the first place? I think the reason is because 
we all accept the priorities of our culture without really thinking about it. And the reason we do that is because we think the things of this culture are going to make us happy. That's why you strive for what you strive for, no matter what it is, it's because you think it's going to make you happy. But I'm going to challenge you on something. Stay with me. There's actually a, a question even below that. It's not about priorities. are not just about what's going to make you happy. I'll get to that in a second. It's actually about something a lot deeper. I want to challenge you with this. Um, many of you know that when, before I went into the ministry, I was an IT guy. Did that for IT director for about, I don't know, 12 years. And then before that, I was in graduate school to get a PhD, which I did not finish, in industrial psychology. And one of the classes I had, ready for this? One of the classes I had in graduate school it was a class with the amazingly attractive, intriguing title of Adjustment and Competence. I took it because I had to, and it was actually at a good time for me in my slot. A a adjustment and competence. That was the title of the class. And the woman who taught it, and I can't remember who it was, she's a lovely woman. She was actually a therapist, which is unusual for an industrial psychologist to be. But she was. And she had the most, she would use a lavalier, but she would hold it like this, and she had the most beautiful, soft-spoken, comforting voice I've ever heard in my life. So here I am thinking, adjustment and competence, and this woman who could put me to sleep at a football game, yeah, this is going to be a snoozer. But I'm going to tell you something. That was actually one of the best classes I've ever taken in my entire life. Because here's the reason why, for today, that we all think that the things we strive for, we're doing, we're striving for our priorities, are because we think they're going to make us happy. But see, human happiness is not about, life is not about happiness. What this class taught me is that what life is about is the human heart's desire to be competent at something. Hear that. Because if you're not clear on why your priorities are there, again, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. This class taught me something very important, that our priorities really aren't about striving after happiness. They're striving after being competent in something. That every person, including the person in your seat, wants to be competent and admired and esteemed for something. And so the big three, money, sex, and power, are not things in and of themselves we strive for. They are indicators of competence. You with me? Yes? So my point being that money, sex, power, the big three things that everybody strives for are measures that our culture says make you competent, make you worthwhile, make you somebody. I want to be somebody. And that's the trap. That class was really good, man. I come to think of it. It just made me think in a whole different way of why humans are motivated, what our priorities are. We all want to be somebody, right? But here's the trap. These worldly, worldly priorities do not satisfy. And that is precisely the dilemma into which St. Paul finds himself in this letter. Let me show you what he writes. He writes in uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, which, again, this sounds weird, but I'm going to unpack it for you briefly while he's driving it. Paul lays out all the things he'd done in his life to make him a person of competence. I want to be somebody. Here's what he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, those things are not indicators for us in our culture of competency, are they? Circumcision and keeping the law, I mean, it seems strange. But in Paul's day as a first century Jew, all the things he lays out there are his cred, man. They are the things he used upon which to base his worth, his competency. Those things that Paul lays out were his priorities. Listen, his priorities to establish himself as a man of esteem by his colleagues. And they are worldly, just like yours and mine often are. Paul says, yeah, I had it all, man. Look at it again. I had more. All these people brag about the things they've achieved. Yeah, I did that. Bring it, man. He says, all these worldly things that I changed, I had it all, and they failed me. These things failed me, and I'll talk about that in a moment. The point I want you to see here first is simply this. It's a question, and it's a biggie. What are your priorities, and why? What are your priorities and why? What are the things that you strive for in terms of adjustment and competence? To be held in esteem by others. Are they worldly priorities? This is a biggie. Or are they godly? Well, if you're not sure, here's how you know. How do you spend your money and how do you spend your time? One of the reasons, you know, around stewardship season, I, I preach tithing uh, is not because, look, people would do it or not. That's, a, that's your call. But the reason I preach tithing, 10% of your income to the life of the church, is because when you put your treasure there, that's where your heart will go. It's what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. In other words, if you want to know where your priorities are, man, ask yourself the question, what do I spend my money on and where do I spend my time? Because those will indicate your priorities. And my first point here, as I wrap up to point number two, or question really, is that our priorities reflect the things that we value, the things that we strive for to be held as people of competence. So what are your priorities? My second point then is, what do those priorities tell you about our, tell us about ourselves? Let's go back to St. Paul, and I'll show you what he says. Back to the epistle. St. Paul lays out, all of his credentials in verses 4, 5, and 6. You can look at it again if you want. But the point is, Paul lays out all these things he'd achieved, man. He was a first century rock star. If you were a Jewish man, you wanted to raise your son to be like Saul of Tarsus. Paul should have been at peace. He had the world by the tail. He should have been at peace, man, but he wasn't. He was restless. Restless. He knew something was missing, but he didn't know what it was. I'm going to share a story with you briefly. When I was um, 18 years old, uh, my parents divorced. My dad was 45, I think, right in there. I forget now exactly. I do the math. But my parents had been married for 22, 23 years, something like that. And out of, n I mean, no one, including me, saw this one coming. And uh, he was divorced. He, my parents got divorced. My dad, if you don't know much about him, he was, an, he was a son of an immigrant, a, a, a my grandfather, who was from the Basque region of Spain. Uh, my dad was born in Yonkers, New York, made a lot of money, worked really hard, went to night school. I mean, he, uh, he, he, went, he climbed the ladder, man, and he did it, and he did it well. He became, finally, before he retired at 47 or 48, whatever it was, 
He was the senior vice president for a division of SmithKline, which I think has since, since been bought several times over. My point is, my dad, from a worldly perspective, Tony Rodriguez, had, he, was, he was an American success story. I remember him as an attentive father. He gave me good advice. He wasn't perfect, but none of us are. And I'll never forget when my mom and my dad split up. I was, he was 47, 48, right in there. He said to me, you know, he said, Chris, I have worked my entire life for my family to give you and your brother and your sister the life that I did not have growing up. He said, I, I worked my entire life for that thing, and this is now what I have to show for it. A failed marriage and a family in ruins. My dad actually struggled with success, didn't he? From a worldly perspective. And maybe some of you right now are struggling with success. Not that you don't have it, but that you do. You do have it, and you realize that there's still something missing. Maybe you achieved a lot of your priorities in life. Maybe you're, this is the classic midlife crisis, man. This is where it comes from. 40 years old, 42 right there. You begin to actually make money and get yourself off your feet on the ground, and you go, this is it? It happens a lot. But you, if you, even the things you were your priorities, your whole life growing up, you know, you've, you're, you're there, and something's still missing, man. It's still, something's not right. See, what our priorities teach us, friends, is that all of us are striving for something. We are all striving for something, and that one thing is simply this. You ready? It's the same for every person who's ever lived, then, now, or will. The thing you and I are striving for in one word is this, and the word is Irene, peace. Think about it. I mean, think about it. Maybe, I mean, think about all the things you do in your life. Why do you do them? Well, you stress over your 401k or how your funds are allocated. Or you spend your time buying and selling gold or, you know, with the, everything's in flux right now. It's a big, apparently a good place to put money. I don't know. Should I sell my house? You know, when you, all these things you do, you're doing because you want financial peace, right? Or maybe you've got your kids in every single sport imaginable, right? Maybe your kids are so overbooked that you have, you know, your weekends are spent carting them around hither and yon, right? Why? Well, because you want peace, that you're in fact a good parent, that you're competent at that thing. Maybe you t spend your time searching for clothes or a bigger house or a new circle of friends. Why? Well, because you're looking for peace, man. You're looking for security. You're looking for a sense of competency and groundedness. The point I want you to see here, friends, we're all after the same thing, man. Our priorities tell us the things that we value, the things that we look for to give us this peace. The problem is, you see, here's the key. They fail you. All the things of this world that we strive for will fail you. I said, when we were at the Daughters of the King meeting yesterday, somebody mentioned something I'd say about my grandfather, right? My grandfather, Fred Marine, used to say, you can't take it with you, and he didn't, Right? These things fail us, man. They're transient. They are not, there's no lasting value. And even if you get them, you're left hanging. So here's the question. This is the big part of the text for today. Point number, question number three. How does the gospel of Jesus change all this mess? How does the gospel change this? Go back to the epistle. What does Paul say? This is actually really, really peppery language. Paul says, whatever gain I had, verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You could say because of Jesus, right? 
Indeed, Paul says, I count everything I have as loss. Everything he had as loss. Because of the, listen to this, listen to this closely, because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Everything I've done in my life, Paul says, was a complete, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he says, but it's something like, it ain't worth a, yeah, that's what he says. Every, Paul says, everything that I have in this world, everything I've achieved is worth nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Remember, friends, the priorities we place on our lives show us the things we will strive for to make our life less chaotic, and that they all sell us short, Paul says, except for one, except for one, and that is to know Christ. What does that mean? That, that word there, to know Christ, is actually a really, really important word in the Greek. It doesn't just mean an intellectual assent. Yeah, I know who Jesus was. Yeah, he's some long-haired guy with rosy cheeks that wore a dress and walked around in the first century and was nice to people, right? Yeah, not so much. That's another thread. To know Christ, I mean, you know the old expression, the biblical, what does it mean to biblically know somebody? That's what that word means. It means to know somebody, not just, hey, I know that guy, but it means, it means to know something, be convicted of somebody, something, to be immersed in something. Paul says, not because of what I do, but the knowledge of this, this, the, not having a righteousness of my own, Paul says, but that which f- comes through faith in Christ. That word for knowing Christ, is, it means to have relational, listen, relational intimacy with Jesus. It implies relational intimacy, a close, listen, listen. Paul says, look, man, you want the answer to peace? Here it is. You need to have a close, personal relationship with Jesus. All the things I trusted, and Paul says, it's not worth it compared to what, knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, I'm going to, I mean, this idea of knowing Jesus, I've been thinking about this all week, doing my sermon prep here. I, I'm going to share this with you too, out of my own heart, because this, this really hit me. I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I am a Christian, right? I love Jesus. I believe in him as my Lord and Savior. He is my king. My entire life revolves around serving him and you. I have faith that he is in the Son of God who died to save me from hell. Yes, I pray twice a day in the morning and evening prayer. I read my scriptures. I pray for all of you. But I'm going to tell you something. I was convicted last week hard that I don't have a, I need to work on my relational intimacy with Jesus. What do I mean by that? You know, I'm a, I am wrestling with something right now. I've been sort of just trying to figure out for a while, and I can't kind of figure it out, and I'm just, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. You know, the night I woke up, I've been thinking about this relational intimacy with Jesus, and I said, I said, Jesus, I, ta- I don't typically pray directly, I mean, Lord, Savior, Almighty and Everlasting God, yeah, sure, but Jesus, man, I need your help. I don't do that normally. Jesus, I need your help. Not God, not Lord, not King of the universe, not creator. Jesus, I need your help. You know, I am, I am learning, friends, like I hope you are, as I get older as a Christian and grow, I've let that relational intimacy slide. You know, I, I am starting to learn that I need to talk to him like I would talk to you, our friend. Do you have, do you have, listen, this is Paul says is the key to the whole thing. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you talk to him? 
Jesus, I need you to help me, man. Jesus, I'm really struggling. I'm confused and trying to figure this out. And man, I, I, need, a, I, need, a, I need help. But Jesus, Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day you've given to me. And if it sounds weird, let me challenge you. Father Joss brought this off this past week. He says, you know, don't forget. Jesus says in John 15, 15, listen to this. He says, uh, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Philios. And friends talk to each other. Friends have relational intimacy with each other. Friends know each other. Do you, friends, know Christ? Not as a concept. Not even do you believe he's the son of God. Do you know him intimately? Do you, do you talk to him like you talk to your best friend? And Paul says, you know, the, the crazy thing about all this is that when Jesus became his priority, man, everything else fell away. He says, it's all just trash. It's rubbish. It's excrement, if you want to know exactly what he says. And he says, you know, I can rejoice now because I know that Jesus has saved me. I can suffer now. And look, a lot of life is suffering, but I can suffer now because I know that Jesus is my friend. I, have, I, I know him intimately. And Paul says, I know that in the end, no matter what happens, I believe in the resurrection. Friends, a personal, close, friendly, intimate relationship with Jesus, that is the Christian priority. Because only, it is the only thing that can satisfy you. And it's the only thing that will never be taken from you. And it will give you the ability to both, both rejoice and to suffer well. So what are your priorities, friends? Are they really where you want them to be? The answer is probably no. But that's why I'm preaching this sermon to you today. It, are, you gonna, are you ready to put Jesus at the top of your list? Well, here's the question. Here's the thing. This is the pastoral point, right? Are you restless? Yes. Are you frustrated? Yep. Do you lack peace? Yes. Well, Jesus is the answer. It sounds trite, and it sounds like a cop-out, but it's the truth. That once you do it, once you put your faith in him, and you know him intimately, and he knows you, he says, I know how many, the number of hairs on your head. That's a pretty intimate statement to make. Jesus is the answer. Only Jesus can save you. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, God made man, God in the flesh, born in a barn, died on a cross, calls you his friend. Father, life is all about priorities and the things that we do in this life to seek the peace which we all seek. As St. Augustine famously says, Lord, all hearts are restless until they rest in you. Make us aware of our, the real priorities of our hearts and give us the strength to reset them and put Christ front and center where he needs to be. He will, he will not stand second to anything. Jesus, today we commit ourselves to you. We thank, we, we commit ourselves to making you our priority. We thank you, Lord, for calling us friends. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.